0: So those of you who have been paying close attention to your Frontline Fruitfulness and the Frontline cards will know that today we're looking at grace and love and how through our grace and love we can make an impact on our Frontline. The Frontline being the, the people that we face, the situations we face when we're not in church, when we're out there in the wider world being faced with the challenges that the wider world brings us. Grace and love, what a great subject to have the opportunity to preach on. Grace and love is the essence of God. It's through the grace of God that we are saved. It's through grace that Jesus died on the cross for us. Grace is one of these words that it's very easy for us to throw around. But when we stop and take time to fully understand what the word grace means what grace actually is, then we suddenly realise that it should be something that we treat with slightly more reverence. Because grace is the most powerful asset, the most powerful characteristic that we can learn. Because without grace, we cannot love fully. We cannot show kindness, generosity, humility. We cannot bring peace and strength and show compassion and care for those that need it. In other words, without grace we cannot walk in the footsteps of Christ. We've had Valentine's Day this week Friday the the 14th and I class myself as being very, very lucky very, very lucky because um, I met my now wife when uh, we were still at school um, she was, she was uh, 15 I'd I just turned 16 and we've been together ever since and I remember from the very first Valentine's Day that we faced, um, I, I realised that Joey's not one for um, sentimental platitudes because she said to me oh it's Valentine's Day next week just to let you know we're not going to bother cards presents, stuff like that and I, my first thought was oh yeah it's Valentine's Day Oh great! I don't have to worry about it. Brilliant. And I reported this to um, a friend of Joe's, and she said, "You're not serious." I said, "Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's great, isn't it?" I, you know, I admire that. It's one of the many things I really like about this girl. And um, Joe's friend said, "Tom, it's a trap. It's, you're mad. Don't, don't buy into it." I said, "What do you mean?" She said, "She said, of course she said that. She wants to be surprised." Anyway, it was a, we were at the age where. Um, <coughs> Some people drove, some people didn't. So, we went running around the sixth form block, found someone who had a car. This was, this was on the morning of the 14th and I was, I was a milk boy at the time. I, I, earned, I earned a decent wage. I was, I was happy enough with it. 35 quid a week was alright, but um, I almost had a heart attack on the spot when I went into a florist to buy her flowers. I thought, my goodness, this is, this is ridiculous. It's a flower, it's one rose, it's that 12 quid. I thought, oh, come on. And then let's get chocolates and then a card. And this friend was adamant. You must do it. You must do it. And so eventually I wrote the card and put some soppy stuff in there and we went round and I left it on the doorstep and then rung the bell. And, and Joe said, oh, for goodness sake, you haven't, have you? I told you not to. I thought we weren't doing this. And I, oh, I found her. I said, I did you know how much you've just cost me? That's a week's wages gone. I was furious. But you see, I'm glad that we don't, and, and if you do, please don't think I'm judging, I'm really not, I think it's a wonderful thing that, that couples make the effort to keep romance going, but my point with Valentine's Day is that a lot of the time, people exchange gifts on Valentine's Day, not because they want to, not because it's, a, it's an uprising of love, but because they have to, because they feel they have to, because they're a There are hearts and there are these messages and they buy a card that someone else has written the soppy stuff in and they give it because it seems like the right thing to do. What I would urge you to do don't leave it till Valentine's Day to show love. It means a lot more to my wife if I just turn up with a bunch of flowers and she says, what have you done? And I say, no, 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 nothing. Nothing. I love you. That's it. I don't need a special day in the year to tell me to, to show my love for my wife. We should make sure that, that we acts of love are not something that we need to be told, oh, it's, it's, it's that time of the year, go and, go and show an act of love, go and show that person that you love them. We should do that naturally, it should flow from our heart. We should, we should emanate love, not just to our, our spouses or significant others, but to everybody we need. Acts of love should be second nature to a Christian heart. Sometimes we're very good at getting close. Getting close. But we can let ourselves down at the last minute. A few weeks ago I met up with um, an old old friend of mine who's been a Christian for many years. And um, it's a guy I used to work with and he um, was telling me a story. He'd been away on holiday and got to the airport. He's quite a big guy, so he paid for extra leg room. And he was telling me this story of how he'd sat down, and um, the person in front of him, as soon as, they, as soon as they got on the plane, had reclined their seat. And he said, You're not supposed to do that. So I sort of summoned the, the um, air steward or stewardess, who came over, and he said, Would you mind asking this person to write their seat? And the, the staff asked several times this person to write their seat, because you're not supposed to have it reclined during takeoff, and they were just ignored. And eventually, once the plane had taken off, apparently one of, the, um, one of the staff came over and said to the person in front of my friend, excuse me, and pressed the button and just forced the seat up and said, I've asked you not to recline until, until the, 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 the seatbelt lights are off and you're allowed to recline. Please please um, stick to the rules that everybody else is sticking to. And my friend said, of course I... I thanked, I thanked the steward. I said, that's really good of you. Thank you very, very much. And he said, you won't guess what happened. I said, what? He said, well, five minutes later, five minutes later, came over and said, oh, excuse me, sir. Um, you've, you've paid for extra room, haven't you? Um, I've actually got a seat two rows back. It's, it's by the exit. There's loads of room. And this is where I thought, up until this point, the the Christian on the plane who'd had the inconvenience, hadn't started having a go at the person in front, had done the right thing, had thanked the the, the staff for for helping him out. I thought, great, he's done the right thing, done the right thing. And then when I was telling this story, my my Christian friend said, you know what I did, Tom? You know what I did? I said said to his house steward, why on earth didn't you put me in that seat in the first place? You knew it was empty. Now, I'm not singling out this individual criticism, because I'm just as bad as the next guy. We all are. But you see, in telling that story, there was a certain element of pride, self-righteous pride, at having told off the astute. It's so easy for us just to let ourselves down at the last minute. When we have a situation where we're showing love and grace and we're being wonderful and compassionate and we're, we're, we're not starting trouble, we're not causing offence, and then suddenly it gets to a point where our earthly instinct takes over and our godly heart gets pushed to one side and we become self-righteous and we set ourselves up for a fall. You see, the Bible is full of examples where grace is shown. It's so easy to miss. This is one of the things about grace, is that we, 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 sometimes, we, sometimes we don't name it, sometimes we don't see it. So often we, can, we read the word love and we know what love is, but sometimes we see grace and we don't recognise what it is. In 2 Kings chapter 4, we read an account of Elisha receiving grace. It's so easy to miss. One day Elisha went to Shunem and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. She said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room for him on the roof and put in it a bed and a table and a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. She didn't have to do that. She didn't have to show grace. I don't know about you, but I've read that account many, many times and I've not quite spotted that small act of grace That meant whenever Elisha travelled through that territory, he knew he had a meal. He knew he had somewhere to go. He had shelter and protection. He had a bit of privacy. He had furniture and somewhere to lay his head. And eventually, the lady is rewarded for her grace. She doesn't go out seeking a reward. Grace doesn't go out seeking a reward. Grace is simply done because a need is recognised and provided for. In Matthew 18, we read Jesus going to Peter's house and Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. Peter doesn't ask Jesus to heal his mother-in-law. I'll leave you to make of that what you will. But Jesus sees Peter's mother-in-law ill in bed and he heals her. He's not asked to, he's not obliged to, he doesn't have to. But Jesus was the epitome of grace. John chapter 5, we read an account of Jesus seeing the man by the pool. This pool which, when it was stirred up, if you got there first and you, 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 you touched the waters, then you would be healed, or so the local folklore said. And this man who was, who was paralysed, he, he, he couldn't get himself to the water's edge and it must have been a huge frustration. Every day when the waters were stirred up, he, he couldn't get himself there in time. Jesus walks by and says get up and walk and the man is healed just like that grace Jesus wasn't doing it in front of a big audience he wasn't doing it as a, as a dare or a bet he wasn't doing it because he owed the man a favour it was grace in the same way Jesus didn't have to set out for the centurion's house in Luke 7 he didn't have to start Going there because the the Pharisees and the elders of the synagogue had told him to. He didn't actually get there because the healing was done, the faith was rewarded, the faith in Jesus. But his intention was to go there as an act of grace. He didn't have to turn water into wine in John 2, but he saw the potential embarrassment that was going to be caused, and so quietly he performed an act of grace. Yes, it's a miracle, but it's a miracle of grace. He didn't have to raise Lazarus from the dead in John 11. Again, it's grace that drove Jesus to perform this healing. He didn't have to come to earth. He didn't have to die on the cross. He didn't have to go through the the pain and the anguish of the suffering. He didn't have to go through the resurrection. He didn't have to do any of that. And certainly, once he'd done all of that, once he'd established himself as the the King of Heaven, the Son of God, he certainly didn't have to then sit on a beach and grill some fish for his friends while they were out fishing as he sat on his own on the beach in John 21. He didn't have to do any of these things. We could have just been forsaken by God. We could have been abandoned and left as a project that went wrong. There could have been another planet that God created elsewhere that had been He's going to start again. But of course, that never even crosses God's mind because God sticks with his people. God never abandons us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And he sent his son into the world as an act of grace. The grace of God is so much bigger than we can possibly understand. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7, Paul speaks of the incomparable riches of God's grace. The incomparable riches. There is, there is nothing in the world, there is, no, there is no charity appeal that could raise enough money, there is no, no gift, there is nothing in this world. No work of art, no jewellery, no paycheck, no bonus, no car, no house. Nothing that can be compared the riches of God's grace. So you might be sitting there thinking, well, that's great. That's that's all all lovely. But you see, God's got this. God's, God's, God's so much bigger, so much more powerful. What can we possibly do on our front line to show grace? How can we possibly demonstrate grace and love when we go out onto our front line? Because... With all due respect, Tom, I'm not going to walk up to someone and say, get up and walk, and they're just going to get out of their wheelchair and be healed because I'm not Jesus. And I'm not going to turn water into wine when a friend runs out. We're going to have to go round to the co-op. And I can't do all these things that Jesus did. But the good news is that actually, for himself, Jesus set the bar very, very high. But for us, for us it's a different story. For us, Jesus doesn't set the bar very high at all. Jesus just demands from us the small acts of grace and love. Sometimes they can lead us into bigger and better things. Sometimes we can look at people and say, wow, they've they've worked and they've worked and they've worked and look at them now. But actually Jesus doesn't look at that every single little act that we do that honours him, Jesus takes pleasure from. Jesus is, is, is praised by it. When we turn to Matthew 25, we read these words. This is Jesus talking about the day of judgment. And the way that we can make sure that we live lives that please him, lives that honor him, lives that glorify him. In Matthew, 5, sorry, Matthew 25 24, Jesus says, "Then the king will say to those on his right, "Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world." For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. A cup of water. A cup of water given to someone. That's not a bar set particularly high. It's not a cup of water taken from ice found at the peak of Everest. It's not a cup of water taken from the purest springs in the most inhospitable place. It's just a cup of water out your tap. Someone's thirsty, give them a drink. Jesus doesn't set the bar really, really high. We should still aspire to achieve as much as we possibly can for him. But he doesn't say, I'm going to set you a challenge so big that you can't possibly achieve it. Instead, he says, "He says, focus on the small steps. Focus on the simple things. Focus on the needs of those people around you and do whatever little thing you can do to meet those needs. I was thinking of a couple of examples in our household. And at Timothy's school, at Christmas time and the end of each term, when children take him presents, one of the things that we do is make sure that he takes a present in for the teaching assistants, for the office staff, for the class cleaner. And I always remember the first time that Timothy went and gave the class cleaner, it was a little box of chocolates or something, and the shock on this lady's face she, at first, she looked. I thought she was going to say, you've got the wrong person, but Timothy just gave it to her. She looked at the gift tag that said, thank you for cleaning my classroom. And the look on her face, I thought, no one's ever done that before, have they? I might be wrong. She might be inundated with gifts, but the look on her face suggested otherwise. It was a tiny little gesture, but it made a huge difference. At Christmas time every year, the last... Um, the last dusting collection before Christmas is a big event in our household. He gets up 15 minutes early, he gets himself all ready for school, and then he stands on our bed looking out the window, listening. And as soon as the first bin lorry comes past, there's one at about quarter past seven, he gets a box of heroes, and he goes to the front door, and he opens it, and he goes out in his slippers and dressing gown, and he gives it to them and says, Happy Christmas. And he does that for the other dustbin lorries as they arrive. These are tiny gestures. These are not acts of heroism. These are not huge sacrifices. But the difference it makes to people when they're shown an act of love, an act of grace, is huge. And that's why Jesus says to us, I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. Stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison. You came to visit me. Each one is a small act that any one of us can do. But because it's a small act, sometimes we don't do it because we're looking for the big acts, we're looking for the big gesture, we're looking for the, the opportunity to stand up and defend our faith in front of hordes of people, we're looking to, to take one for the team. But Jesus says, don't worry about that, just do what you can do. And that's what this frontline series is all about. Trying to, trying to capture the essence of grace and love, trying to make sure that our motivation for everything we do, every situation we find ourselves in in life, our motivation is to show grace and love, is to have the name of Jesus on our lips. Just imagine if we go into the supermarket. Now, I don't know about you, but if I go into the supermarket, I'm normally there under protest, and I, my, my sole my soul aim is normally to get in and out as quickly as possible. And I get driven crazy by, um, by the fact that normally, Jo, jo a list. she's very into lists. She, she loves a list. Um, she normally writes by writing a list of things that she makes, needs to make lists for. Um, she always has a list. She never goes into a supermarket without one. They just appear yeah. out of her handbag. But what drives, me, what drives me crazy is the fact that she'll walk in and suddenly things start jumping into her mind that aren't on the list. And so I find I don't know how long this is going to take. Come on, I want to get home. We, bananas aren't on the list. Why? Just, I don't care if they're green or yellow or blue or purple. Just pick some. Come on. It's just everything. Just Things just jump in. And before you know it, the list is just simply a prop. Seems to be an excuse for us to spend as much time as we can in the supermarket when the cricket's on. When we get to the till... I much prefer going through the self-service bit because you can just, bib, 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 you can do it quickly, you can get it done, then you can pay and you can get out. You haven't had to spend time talking to people. Oh, they're great, I love those things. But, but, I need to start practising what I preach. Because actually, if I go into the supermarket and my mindset is focused on my front line, then suddenly the supermarket becomes my front line. If I go in there motivated to share the grace and love of Christ, then I cannot go in there with a the desire to get out as quickly as possible. I need to have made the time to spend walking around the supermarket. I need to be looking around. I need to be praying for the, for the mother with the child that's kicking and screaming in the, in the pram and the other one that's running off into the distance. Goodness knows where. I need to be praying for the... The elderly person who's, who's clearly in a lot of pain, maybe arthritis or something, and are pushing a trolley along at a, a painstaking pace but determined to maintain their independence and their dignity by doing their own shopping and looking after themselves. I need to, I need to show a smile and time to so the, the shop assistant who's t- taking, taking abuse because they've just made a mistake in the change they've given out and now they've got a queue of people waiting for them and willing them to hurry up and they're feeling the pressure. I need to pray for the person who's putting the five bottles of gin into their shopping basket, covering it up with a newspaper just in case they meet someone they know, in case they saw them doing the same thing yesterday. I need to be paying attention to the people around me. If my motivation is to get in and out as quickly as possible, then my motivation is on serving me. I need to be making time for people. I need to offer help to those who who are burdened. Can I help help you carry that? It's not offering a lot. It's a small, small thing. But I'll tell you what, Jesus is going to be beaming if he sees us doing that. I need to be talk- talking to the lonely, the downtrodden, listening to people, not thinking that they're a burden, not thinking, oh, this is a nuisance, I wish I'd never asked you if you've got the time, oh, but instead showing genuine care, love and compassion to what they say, listening to them, rather than just waiting for an opportunity to get away. I and mean, may- maybe, maybe if I start going on a more regular basis, because I make the time for people, I learn the names of people. I learn the names of people's children. I learn a little bit about people's situations, about their appointments. I show people that I care. And maybe, if they recognise that I can bring peace and calm into an otherwise hectic schedule, then maybe they'll begin to wonder where that motivation comes from. Why? Why? Why does this guy do it? Now I know there are people in here who probably already do that. There are people in here who, when I listen to your stories, I'm so humbled and I realise just how much I've got left to learn in this Christian walk. But I also know from personal experience that as 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 soon as we think we've got something cracked, we get this little reminder that actually we haven't. As soon as we think we've got something cracked, we get complacent and then suddenly we have to crack it all over again. And so if you're, if you're sitting there thinking, yeah, I do that in the supermarket, brilliant, that's great, thank you, that's amazing, that's so encouraging. But where don't you do it? Because there will be somewhere, there will be somewhere, there will be somewhere that we can take grace and love where we don't normally take them. You see, grace and love are inconvenient, to be honest, to be completely frank. If Nehemiah had wanted convenience then he would have stayed in the royal court advising the king. He wouldn't have taken on this horrible challenge to be honest. He wouldn't have responded to this urge to go and and rebuild Jerusalem opening himself to ridicule, attack, physical danger, hard work, toil, faced with failure time and time again, having to to give everything to eventually pull through and and see the project complete. He could have taken an easy route, but no. He showed grace and love. He acted. He acted on those feelings. When Ananias was, was told to go and look after Saul, the Christian killer, that wasn't convenient. As far as he was concerned, it was a death sentence. What do you mean, I've actually got to go and go and take this man into my home? He's get his, but as soon as he gets his sight back, once he can see... I'm for it. it. But he was obedient. He showed grace and love to Saul. Look what happened there. Seeing the sick carries a risk. There's always a risk of illness. A friend of mine's in in the Royal Air Force. He's just spent um, time out in China. Um, He's part of the the operation to evacuate all um, British nationals. From, from the districts that have been struck, struck by coronavirus. He's now in quarantine. He's come back to the UK, but he's in quarantine just in case. Because when we carry germs, if anyone comes to visit us, they're taking a risk. Jesus says, take the risk. He uses this example because he knows that this isn't just an instruction that was relevant for the time and place where he said these words, but he knew that it was always going to be the case that seeing someone who is ill, no matter how advanced our medical understanding gets, there will always be a risk of infection. So Jesus says, go and visit them anyway. Go and visit them because there's a risk and you're showing that person that the power of love and grace that you you feel through your Saviour is stronger than your fear of infection. In 2 Timothy 1:16, Paul actually praises someone for not being ashamed of coming to see him in prison, because Paul knew that actually that teaching of Jesus is difficult, because going to see someone in prison there's almost um, a shame by association. It's very easy to sort of well, I'll, 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 go, I'll go around to their house when they're when they're out of prison, when they're back home. Once they've served their time, I'll quietly go and make sure they're okay then. But no, we're called to go and go and visit these people. That's why we should support Ian Moore and the team of people that go into Chelmsford on a regular basis. And I know that, that we do support them. This is good. This is good stuff that's being done. With grace and love, one of, the, one of the best ways that we can express grace and love is through forgiveness. When we talk about practicing grace and love on our front line, a lot of the time, before we can start being nice, before we can start, start giving the cup of water and offering the food and clothing the, those who need clothing and doing all the rest of it, often actually, the hardest thing to do we need to address those little issues that we've swept under the carpet those people that we know that we've we've maybe hurt or upset, or maybe the people that have hurt and upset us, who we bear a grudge against. Forgiveness is an act of grace and of love. Maybe you've been at work this week and a boss has made a promise that's then been broken. Yeah, of course you can have that time off. And then suddenly you get to the day before, I'm afraid I've got to cancel it. We've just had this project come in, I need everyone I can get. Leaves cancelled. Oh, you promised. It's hard, but we need to forgive. Or maybe you've walked out of a shop, got home, put your hands in your pocket and thought, hang on, I gave them a 20. they give me change from a 10. Oh, I don't believe it. I need that money. I don't believe it. Oh, where's my receipt? I've got to go back. Oh, if only they could have done their job right in the first place. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is required because none of us are perfect. The driver pulling out at a roundabout. <laughs> it's difficult. Pretty much instant forgiveness before we, before we shout and gesture and find ourselves in the middle of a road rage situation. <sighs> Grace and love, when they're administered in those situations, they take the form of Forgiveness. Forgiveness is an act of grace and love. It liberates us from our guilt. It shows others that we care. It demonstrates compassion. This is, a, this is a, an outpouring of grace and love. Like I said earlier, so often we can, we can miss grace because it takes on forms that we don't necessarily expect. And forgiveness is an act of grace. When we talk about God's grace, often we talk about forgiveness. That's what we mean. Jesus did not have to die on that cross. God did not have to send his son. But he chose to. Because through his grace, despite everything that that mankind has done, us personally and us corporately, he loves us. And he wanted a way to forgive us. And that was the only way. So we should follow that example in our own lives. Grace and love are born out of a generous heart. It might be you stopped in the street this week and someone asks you for directions and you're thinking, I really haven't got time for this. It's, I don't know where this place is. I, I, I can picture it in my mind, but I haven't got time to stop and think. Give time to the person. Be late and explain why. Give time to that person. It's a generous thing to give time. Sometimes it's easy to drop a fiver in a charity box and walk away. You don't, really, you don't really feel it. But giving five minutes to someone is far more valuable than five pounds quite often. Giving someone five minutes of your time is an act of grace, an act of love. You might take someone out to lunch. Again, spending time with them, investing in them, treating them and showing, showing love, showing you care, listening to them, visiting somebody like we've already said. Don't do the bare minimum. Jesus says to us, don't don't do the bare minimum. You can give someone a cup of water on a hot day and that is a literal fulfilment of Jesus' instruction. But, if you can go further than that, do. If you can give more, do. Like like we've said so many times recently as we've been going through this series, we need to serve wholeheartedly every opportunity we have to show grace and love. It shouldn't be done half heartedly, It shouldn't be, well, Tom said, give him a cup of water, so there you go, that will do. I'm going to go and I'm gonna crack, crack, open, crack open the carver. No, it should be, it should be that we, we share, we give, we are generous, we are sacrificial. Because that's what Jesus was. And that's who we seek to follow. God's grace. Of God's love are bigger than anything. They're bigger than any sin that we can commit. The world is full of people who have a vague understanding of who God is, but they also have a very acute understanding of who they are. And because they've got an acute understanding of who they are, they do not see themselves as being compatible with God. They see barrier after barrier after barrier after barrier. God wouldn't want me because between me and God, there's, there's hurdle after hurdle, obstacle after obstacle. Some are too high, some are too wide, some are too deep. And some are just too frightening. So I'm going to stay where I am. And God can stay where he is. But you know, this is where we need to show grace and love where we need to demonstrate the the scale, the sheer power of God's grace and God's love. For some people, maybe here today, or maybe maybe people you know, they need to know grace is bigger than, then they need to fill in that gap. Whatever it is, grace is bigger than. It might be grace is bigger than my fear, grace is bigger than my hate, Grace is bigger than my anger. Grace is bigger than my lies. Grace is bigger than my debt. Grace is bigger than my addiction. Grace is bigger than my adultery. Grace is bigger than my theft. Grace is bigger than my past Grace is bigger than my violence. Grace is bigger than my indifference. Grace is bigger than my self-doubt. Grace is bigger than my failure. Grace is always greater. Whatever we've got in our lives that blocks us from having an open and true relationship with God, whatever inhibits us from knowing him and then sharing him, grace is bigger. God's grace, God's love is more powerful. It can overcome any obstacle, any hurdle. And that's the message that we need, to, we need people to understand, that we need people to see. That God is not overwhelmed or overcome by our sin. But instead it's quite the opposite. If we just say, God, I'm over here and I want you, I want you, but I can't get over these hurdles, the grace and love of God sees him reaching out across them. Reaching out and overcoming each one. And showing us a clear path to him. So to finish this morning, we're just going to spend some time just a thirty seconds. I just want us to quietly spend some time reflecting, either personally or interceding for someone else. Praying that either us or that other person will will get the message, will see the evidence in, in Christians, whether it's us individually or whether it's other Christians they know, see the evidence of grace and love overcoming, overcoming any barrier between them and God and praying for God to break through. So I'm just going to give us a short time just to bring people to God. Just quietly, you don't have to, don't name and shame. That's not what this is about. There is no shame before God. There is grace and there is love. So I'm going to give us a short time now and then I'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that so often we are overwhelmed by the size of our mistakes and the seemingly impossibility of them being forgiven. But, Father, when we pick up your word, we see time and time again examples of love and grace overcoming sin and darkness. Father, we thank you that your word tells us that that you love us and that never will you leave us or forsake us. But we also thank you that it calls us to serve you. It calls us to to serve you, to honour you to bow before you, to give our lives to you. And so, Lord, we pray that this week you will give us opportunities to share love and grace with those that we meet. Whatever situation we find ourselves in, Father, help us to, to keep a lid on our earthly response that demands anger and retribution and instead to show love and grace. Father, help us to serve you wholeheartedly, leaving nothing behind, leaving no part of us in darkness, not trying to hide any bit, but instead bringing ourselves before you into the light. Father, we pray that you will use us as we go out into our front line, armed with the power of love and grace and with the power of our God. In Jesus' name, Amen.